0: Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope in our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Uh, I invite you now to open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 16. That's found on page 1,848 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. Uh, We're continuing in our series, Called and Calling, uh, where we're looking at what does it mean to be a people who are called by God? Uh, One of the emphasis uh, that we've had throughout the series has been that everybody is called. We all share in a calling, old or young, and that's going to come out today again uh, from a different angle. Uh, One of the first messages that we had uh, looked at this calling that we have to be strong and courageous uh, and that this comes from being people that are rooted in God's word and familiar with God's character, who God is, that when we are submersed in that, that we have the courage, that we have the strength to respond to where God is calling us. Uh, Today we're going to be in 1 Timothy, and just a little background on it so that we're familiar with where we are, because not everyone uh, might be super familiar with this book. Uh, Timothy is a young pastor, and he's serving in the church of Ephesus. So uh, Ephesus is one of the epicenters, one of the major cities of early Christianity. This is where, in the church tradition, you have John, one of Jesus' disciples, living there. You have Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, living in Ephesus in her later life. This is a, a place where there are other fairly prominent people And this is where um, sound teaching and all of that is very important because it's going to flow from here. And here we have this young pastor, this young leader, uh, who's estimated to be in his late 20s or early 30s uh, that Paul is giving encouragements to. And we're just going to be stepping in, um, in chapter 4, on his encouragements there. Starting in verse 6. If you point out these things, or if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Don't neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters and give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's an expression out there that's been around for a while. Uh, it starts with the words, uh, kids these days. Uh, so it can kind of go like this. Uh, kids these days have no respect for their elders. Uh, kids these days don't work as hard as they used to. Uh, kids these days just have it so easy. Uh, the, the general idea, if you want to be using kids these days right, um, is that you just pick something that you think the current generation isn't so good at, that the the previous generations were just so much better. What's interesting though is that if you look at history, you'll find that that argument's been existed from generation to generation to generation, that this actually goes back to the sixth century. Basically, as long as writing has been around, every generation has kind of just assumed that they were doing a whole lot better than the next one. Uh, There's other examples of this. Um, You can find something similar with the words, uh, nobody wants to work anymore. Um, Implicit behind these types of statements are the idea that this current generation, this current crop of workers, is unique in kind of like their laziness and not wanting to work. Uh, But also, what's interesting with that is you can look back and someone just made a stir on Twitter uh, last week, I think it was, uh, by posting newspaper clippings from every decade uh, from now down to the 1800s with that same phrase, nobody wants to work anymore. Uh, This memory of a time where everybody wanted to work um, just didn't seem to be there. Uh, This is an example here from 1940, um, where the blame is going towards um, relief and pension. Uh, Because of that, nobody wants to work anymore. Uh, Here's another one from the 1930s, uh, where orchardists are complaining. That same complaint is there. Nobody wants to work anymore. Um, Nobody seems to want to work at a peach or apple picking and packing. Um, I don't know why, Uh, but... There's that sense there that there's this memory of a time where everyone wanted to work and that somehow this this younger generation or this new group of people is inferior. And I want to point this out because this mentality shows up in our passage today. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he's writing in this broader context where, in his culture, that same thing is present. There's this idea that these younger people uh, don't have that same maturity, that they won't be able to lead effectively. Timothy here is this younger minister, a person would have to push back against these negative perceptions surrounding him and his generation. And Paul is encouraging him to live in a way that that resists these misconceptions, that resists these types of claims. Now this has reminded me of a talk by Mary Holst, a chaplain at Calvin University. It's from 2018, so it's already a little bit dated. Uh, but I invite you to check it out. All you have to do is type out Millennials in the Church, Mary Holst, and she gives actually some very hopeful things about it. Um, it's hour long, so I'm just going to give a small summary. Uh, but generally, It might be helpful to know what millennials are. Uh, Millennials are anyone aged between uh, kind of born at 1985 all the way to 2004. If you're having trouble with the math, that's basically anyone that's younger than me but graduated from high school, give or take a few years. Um, I just snuck in the, the later years of the millennial group there. Some of the ideas or perceptions around them that they're lazy or selfish and entitled. And there's some helpful information, I guess, that's out there that just doesn't match up with those statements. So first of all, we have this idea that um, a lot more millennials are living with their parents, and that's no good. Uh, These must be some, again, lazy and entitled people Um, Holst points out that while it is true that a lot more are living with their parents, there's other reasons behind that. Um, One of them is that a lot more of them are going to college. So a lot of younger people have college degrees. This is at one point a good thing. It shows us motivation to train themselves, to prepare themselves for work. But... What they're finding is, despite this additional training, they're projected to um, earn less. They're the first generation projected to earn less than their parents did over their lifetime. Adjusted for inflation, it's suggested that they'll earn about 20% less than the previous generation. Um, When this is combined with the fact that they have higher debt to start off with, uh, so most of people, if you average out the debt from people that went to college, it's about 40000 You're starting off with higher debt. You're getting paid less. Uh, It's a little bit hard to get your own place, even if you don't factor into this whole idea of housing prices. Higher debt, lower wages might explain why we have more people uh, living with their parents. Um, This widespread reality out there kind of indicates that there might be exceptions and people that just love the idea of staying in their parents' basement. For the most part, it's not something that millennials are just loving, and wanting to do. Now, another thing that we can look at is, are they working? And in the general statistics, they make up 50% of the workforce. They are, in fact, out there. At least one third of them are entrepreneurs and doing startups, so they're creatively engaging with the world and trying new things. Uh, They're also generous. 84% of them make charitable donations. Uh, Something to note, though, is we don't always see their donations because they're giving in different ways. Uh, Some of them are e-transferring. They'd much prefer to, let's say, e-transfer to a friend of theirs who's living up north and um, buying bicycles for the, the impoverished kids in their community. They'd prefer to do that than to send a check to a broad organization that's doing global relief and is a little bit more vague. So again, there's generosity there, but it looks different. Now, hopefully, some of those stats just help us understand that some of the claims that are out there in our broader culture to look down on the younger generation might not be as sound as they might first seem. Now, I want to point beyond that and just look briefly at what some of the strengths might be of the millennial generation. Uh, One thing that's pointed out is that they are adaptable. Uh, they've, They've grown up in a world of change. If you were born after 1985, you've seen the world, especially technology, change at a rapid pace, and they are able to meet those challenges. There's also a longing for substance in this group. They they want to see substance especially in the church. They want to be substance in our worship and in our preaching. This is involving the, the naming of sin, the, the claiming of how the gospel enters in and changes everything. That's part of the desire. They also crave authenticity. They don't just want to have these things named, but they want to see these being lived into in a way that makes sense, in a way that is consistent in people's lives. Another part is that they tend to see success differently. So success, for instance, in a small group ministry isn't simply making sure that we have 50 people joining our small group, but they want to know are there, is there any depth in the conversations that they're having? Is there growth internally that's happening? The last one is that there's also a high priority on justice. Justice is a real concern. On this, um, Mary Holst says, they know the heartbreak of the world and they want to do something about it. If you want to know why they're doing something that just isn't making sense to you, let's say uh, they're spending too much money on uh, ethical clothing, or they've decided to be vegan and it just doesn't make sense to you, try asking the question, how does this fit into your understanding of justice? Uh, Justice helps motivate a lot of actions for this group. Now, with all of that said, I just want to have an encouragement out there for anyone in the younger generations out there Uh, to take your strengths seriously. Uh, To kind of paraphrase how Mary Holst finishes, challenge the church in what it's like to follow Jesus. Remind the church that we're not just a social club or people that inherit religion, Challenge the church to show that Jesus rising from the dead has, in fact, changed everything. Challenge the church to continue to show us how to confess and receive forgiveness into seeing how the gospel truth gets lived out. See your desires as things that can help strengthen the church. See the giftings that you may bring to the church. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. I think for some people, uh, being young or just younger than the others out there might kind of disqualify yourself from going out there. You might think to yourself, I'd love to do that, but I think I'll just wait till I'm a little bit older. Maybe I'll just inherit some maturity just by aging. I've known people to do this. I've done so myself. You wait a couple of years only to find that you're no more, more confident than you were before. You simply let a couple of years go by without growing in that area and being able to live into that space where you had already sensed God's calling. Now, that the challenge also goes, this isn't just for the younger people here, but to the older generations. Are we noticing the different strengths that different generations have Are we willing to learn across generations that that they actually have something that they can teach us? Are we able to offer correction in the challenging them towards following Jesus in ways that maybe they haven't thought of? How are we cheering on the younger generations Are we creating opportunities for them to go and enter into flourishing? Are you seeing their strengths or are you only lamenting the changes that you see? Or are you helping them grow in maturity and strength so that when they do come into leading, that they do so with an appreciation of Scripture as God's Word, that they have an appreciation of the Reformed heritage that we have? Are we living into the call of being elders that allow space to serve, even if that means that we have to change the way that we serve, or allowing ourselves to be led when we are so used to leading ourselves? Now, to bring this back to our broader conversation on calling, if there's something I want to emphasize on calling, if it hasn't been clear yet, Calling extends to everybody. Everybody is called old and young. And sometimes we can discriminate based on our age. Older people can be told that they no longer have a space to serve. Young people can be dismissed, saying that they don't have a voice, they don't have a place to serve. They're only in a space where they are being served, maybe in the different programming that we have. Implicit in our passage here, in that statement in 1 Timothy 4.12, is the fact the gospel changes how we view things. It it changes how we view authority and value and worth and legitimacy. We are confronted with a people in Ephesus that might try to look down on Timothy or think that he's not um, able to lead simply because of his age. But that's not how people formed by the gospel are responding. They have different qualifications in leadership than merely what the culture has. Since freedom from the gosp- in the gospel is extended to Timothy, so are the fruits of the gospel. It's not, he's not just like a disciple in waiting or a leader in training. He is a person gifted by the Holy Spirit, able to enter into the world in ways that God has gifted him. Going back to that line, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, and faith and purity. I didn't draw one for all of them, but we at least have a few there if you're visual learners. Speech, conduct, in love and faith and purity, there's this building up or this, this consistency in life that Timothy is called to. And what's interesting to note is that Paul is the one that's calling Timothy into this. Paul is practicing here what he is teaching. He is exhorting this young person to live into the giftings that he has in the here and now. He is trusting that God's spirit is at work in the younger generation. This letter exists. All of 1 Timothy is directed to this young leader. He's saying that this is a person who can step into the foundation that they had, this gifting that they had, that he can lead faithfully, that he can show maturity and faith and love and purity despite what the cultural expectations may be. Notice, too, that it's not only Paul in our passage that is giving these encouragements to Timothy. There's also this line here. Uh, Do not neglect the spiritual gift that has been given to you and confirmed by the prophetic words when the elders laid hands on you. Uh, there's a time where the elders kind of surrounded Paul in, or Timothy in prayer, And they named these gifts that Timothy had. They spoke over the gifts. Maybe it was teaching. The the passage actually doesn't explicitly say what the spiritual gift that Timothy has. Just that that was spoken over him by these leaders. And while they were laying their hands on him, there's a sense in which they were kind of lifting him up. That they were encouraging him to be able to lead. Now, see, he's kind of at level ground afterwards. I tried to make him bigger, too. But there's that sense, visually, again, that here is someone who can serve as a fellow brother or sister in Christ, even though, culturally, that wouldn't really be expected. Notice that he is surrounded by a discerning community that prays over younger people, that speaks God's truth to them, that names the gifts that they have. Think of what a gift that can be for others if you were able to look and be attentive to what gifts they have and that you actually speak to them. Have you ever had someone name that gifting in you? Perhaps there's yourself. You're you're thinking silently of gifts that you might have, but you've never had someone speak that over you, how that could help propel you into your calling, into your ministry. As a church, Living Hope, question that we might be asking ourselves is, how are we doing this? Uh, One way is, like, there are spaces where we can be doing this where we have already been doing this, and one of that is in our programming. Uh, We have our children's ministries, we have gems and cadets, we have our youth ministries. These are spaces where leaders and children can be working together, where the leaders can be speaking into the children's lives and naming the different gifts that they have. There's opportunities for growth, both as leaders and participants. Uh, Another example can be um, how we've supported people in staffing in in the last year, Um, In the last year alone, we've had Levi Furch. He joined us from outside of our church community, but we were investing in this young leader and helping him to get experience in in leading our youth program. Or we have someone like Bethany, who um, is doing an internship right now and, and able to practice some of the ways that she has been gifted in making videos and answering questions on technology that some of our uh, less savvy tech people uh, still need some help with. Uh, That's kind of pointing back at me there. We're given opportunities for young people to grow, and that's good. And we should be challenging ourselves. We should be thinking, what other opportunities might there be? What ways do we have to grow and to continue to encourage a young generation, into service and into the church. Stick on this one. Uh, Lastly, we have this line here, do not neglect the spiritual gift you have. Um, In looking at that, there's there's another thing that we can look at. There's the fact that the spiritual gift is there, but it still can be neglected. Neglected. Timothy has a gifting, and it's meant to be lived out. And we can talk about this in terms of the implications of the gospel again. Timothy stands as a person who is saved by God's grace, through God's power, is invited to be part of God's partner people. And having been saved by grace, so he's not invited to do this so that he can save himself or to um, feel better about himself that he's earned his way to salvation, but already having been saved by grace... He isn't just supposed to sit around and be happy about the grace that he's received. He is given a way of living into it. He has given this gift, a gift from God to, uh, and alongside that gift, we have this responsibility. And I, I've mentioned this in the, the first message around our callings, that sometimes we're called into something that's challenging. And this is similar, but this is a little bit of a different point here, is that sometimes there's this challenge in actually developing our gifts. Our giftings don't exempt us from the hard work in developing and in using them. Uh, for Timothy, it was prophesied over him. We don't know exactly what the gifting was, but we can kind of see in the context that it involved teaching. Uh, this didn't mean that Timothy was immediately just the best teacher that he was able to just think of any verse without study and that he would always have the perfect thing to say, that people were just hanging on his words all the time. There was a space to continue to grow. Paul encourages him, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. He's someone that's progressing even though that gifting is already there. And this might not be exactly what we expect or maybe what we want to hear when we think about spiritual things. Sometimes we can get caught thinking that to to absorb something spiritual is to just know the love and the presence of God. Um, But it extends beyond that. It extends towards this faithful living. If we stop there and neglect the fact that spirituality is something that we actually work at, then we're missing something really big. And part of our passage, Paul even talks about, um, he compares it to the training of an athlete. So just as an athlete has to train and do things over and over and over again to make them almost like their their second nature, we have to do that same thing with our, our spiritual lives. We need to train and work at these things and grow and see the progress. So with all of that being said, I want to finish with uh, three challenges here I invite the the worship team to come up as well. Three challenges to finish. First, young people, remember the gift that you are to the church. Remember this this gift, the equipping of the spirit that is given. Uh, May you have confidence that you have something to bring to the church through God working in you. Second, for elders, and this isn't just for the official people in the spot of elders, but the older generations in the church. How can you be equipping the younger folk here? Uh, Maybe a good question to ask yourselves is, when was the last time You affirmed a gift that someone had. Um, In our pews here, we have the the thinking of you cards. Maybe that's an opportunity there to encourage someone. Maybe think of someone younger than you that you can be encouraging and speaking of a gift that they have. And something for everyone here. Um, Paul gives this advice that Timothy takes this to heart preserve in doing what is right, study and take God's word seriously, be active in serving, put these giftings into practice here in the church, Uh, that these gifts aren't things that we just hold on privately, that these are meant to take us into service and into community. If you're not sure how you can be doing this, uh, I invite you to ask a deacon or an elder or myself, and and we can work alongside you. Uh, We might not have an answer right away, but we can can um, be doing this together. And with that, uh, let's come before God in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that you, you bring your gifts freely to your people, that through your spirit, these gifts that you give are diverse, ranging in every different direction. Each one showing a different aspect of your goodness and how it can be lived into throughout this world. Help us to see and appreciate the gift that you have given us. May we recognize it as a gift, as something freely given, that we can bring your goodness into the world as you had meant it to be. Help us, too, to see how other people are gifted. May we be able to name it in others through your spirit in us. Give us discernment to speak words that empower others as we too are called in serving you. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.